Daniel chapter 5, we're going to be looking at verses 10 through 17. I'm entitling the message this morning, A Message from God. I know that you come to church not to hear a message from me, that you're hoping that perhaps God is speaking to you and you're wondering what he might be saying. And I'm hoping that the Holy Spirit will reveal exactly that to you. Daniel chapter 5, beginning in verse 10, we read, The queen, because of the words of the king and his lords, came to the banquet hall. The queen spoke, saying, O king, live forever. Do not let your thoughts trouble you, nor let your countenance change. There's a man in your kingdom in whom is the spirit of the holy God. And in the days of your father, light and understanding and wisdom, like the wisdom of the gods, were found in him. And King Nebuchadnezzar, your father, your father, the king, made him chief of the magicians, astrologers, Chaldeans, and soothsayers. Inasmuch as an excellent spirit, knowledge, understanding, interpreting dreams, solving riddles, and explaining enigmas were found in this Daniel whom the king named Belteshazzar. Now let Daniel be called and he'll give the interpretation. Then Daniel was brought in before the king and the king spoke and said to Daniel, are you that Daniel who is one of the captives from Judah, whom my father the king brought from Judah? I have heard of you that the spirit of God is in you and that light and understanding and excellent wisdom are found in you. Now the wise men, the astrologers, have been brought in before me that they should read this writing and make known to me its interpretation. But they could not give the interpretation of the thing. And I've heard of you, that you, have, you can give interpretations and explain enigmas. Now, if you can read the writing and make known to me its interpretation, you shall be clothed with purple and have a chain of gold around your neck and shall be the third in the kingdom. Then Daniel answered and said before the king, let your gifts be for yourself and give your rewards to another. Yet I will read the writing to the king and make known the interpretation. In this chapter, King Belshazzar has received an unexpected, and if I could go even further, an unwelcome message from the God Most High. In our last study, we read about this lavish gala, this surprising ball that was thrown by the king to boost the confidence of the Babylonian people. It was an apocalyptic party, like I said, that was to boost the spirits, not only of the king, but also of the people who felt certain that the gods of Babylon would make a perpetual provision against all of their enemies in verse 1. And the king had the gall to call for the sacred objects that had been captured 
from Jerusalem's destroyed temple to toast the gods that they had come to trust in verses 2 through 4. In their shock and in their dismay, a strange hand reaches from another dimension and begins with its supernatural finger to write a message on the plaster wall. We understand that it was next to a burning lampstand, perhaps the menorah in the Jewish temple that had once again been captured and placed in the Babylonian treasury. The panicked king called for the astrologers, the Chaldeans, the soothsayers to read the writing on the wall and interpret its meaning in verses 7 through 9. The king offered them a a reward in verse 7. They were unable to discern the mysterious message in verse 8. And so the writer of Hebrews reminds his Jewish audience in the New Testament that God at various times in various ways had in the past spoken through the prophets, but he has spoken to us by his own dear son, whom he is appointed heir of all things, through whom also he made the worlds, Hebrews chapter 1, verses 1 and 2. God spoke in a lot of different ways in times past. But God has spoken to us in this day, most assuredly, through the person of Jesus Christ. This pagan king wanted to know what God had to say. This pagan king joined a long line of people who were recipients of revelation from God. Unfortunately, the message that God had for this king was a message of judgment. And this causes a lot of people trouble. Because they want to hear from God. They want to know what God has to say. And they wonder, I I wonder if God's message for me is a message of judgment. Is is it a message of condemnation? Is, Is it a message of hope? What is God's message for me? And this king is desperate to know the meaning of the message. But he can find no answers from Babylon's best. Again, we live in a world where many people believe that God is silent. And of course, there are also other people who believe that perhaps God isn't silent. But if God has something to say, then it's not good news. It's bad news. But nothing could be further from the truth. Yes, God has bad news for sin. There's very bad news for people who try to figure out a way to deal with the darkness and the emptiness and the guilt apart from Christ, apart from the revelation that's been given to us in the person of Jesus, the work of Jesus, the ministry of Jesus, the sacrificial death of Jesus. This might seem bizarre to you that God would reach from another dimension 
and write on a Babylonian wall and write down a message for a king. But I'm going to suggest to you that God has spoken in times past and he has given us the preserved revelation in the form of your Bible. How does God speak today? Through his spirit and through his son and through his word. The psalmist wrote in Psalm 25, 9, he guides the humble in what is right. He teaches him his way. If you want to hear from God and you want to know what's right, the Bible gives us clues. The Bible says a broken and a contrite heart he will not despise in humility and brokenness if you're willing to submit to the lordship of Jesus Christ, he will reveal his message. And so again, I remind you, what is it that God wants to say to you? Maybe you yourself have asked this question on more than one occasion where you've said, God, what are you trying to say to me? What is it that you want me to know? What is it that you want me to, to, to understand? What does the Bible tell us? What does the Bible reveal about us and the true and the living God? The Bible introduces us to Jesus. The Bible offers us guidance. The Bible supplies wisdom and light. But along the way, there might be some difficulties, challenges. Let's see if we can explore what some of those might be and how we can avoid the obstacles that keep us from hearing from God and then turn to him and ask him to speak to us and be willing to listen. It begins with this queen's recommendation. Look what it says in verse 10. The queen, because of the words of the king and his lords, came to the banquet hall. This is that lavish place with over a thousand people celebrating and drinking and toasting the Babylonian gods. The queen spoke saying, O king, live forever. Do not let your thoughts trouble you, nor let your countenance change. Earlier we discovered that the king's countenance changed. His face changed literally when the hand reached into our dimension and began to speak because he understood that something supernatural was happening. In an earlier passage, we learned that the king's wives and the concubines were with him in verse 3. So who is this person who's called the queen? She's almost certainly... Belshazzar's mother, possibly the grandmother, but I suspect that it's his mother. The name of Belshazzar's grandmother and mother have come down to us through ancient sources. The historian Herodotus identifies the wife of Nabonidus as Nitocris. She's called the queen of Babylon, Nitocris. The queen mother became aware of the circumstances that had taken place in this lavish hall. She makes her way into the banquet hall and she speaks. And like any concerned mother, she begins with the Middle Eastern greeting, 
O king, live forever. Those of you who are familiar with the book of Daniel also know that this is a phrase that has been used throughout the book of Daniel. And so it was used in Daniel chapter 2, verse 4, and chapter 3, verse 9, and chapter 6 later, it will be used again in verse 6. At this point, she has no idea that her son has a, only a few fleeting hours to live. Now, if this is in fact Nabonidus' wife, which is Belshazzar's father, who is the king, then this would mean that this is the Nitochris, who is the daughter of King Nebuchadnezzar. And so Nebuchadnezzar is her father, which would mean that for Belshazzar, Nebuchadnezzar is his grandfather. And so like any concerned mother, she basically says, chin up, chin up. Now's not the time to panic. She has no idea that her son's pride and selfishness and rebellion is going to result in judgment. But she gives him hope in this sense. In verse 11, there's a man in your kingdom in, in whom is the spirit of the holy God. And in the days of your father, light and understanding and wisdom like the wisdom of the gods were found in him. And King Nebuchadnezzar, your father, your father, the king, made him chief of the magicians, astrologers, Chaldeans, and soothsayers. In that culture, the expression both in the Aramaic language the language that is being used is a word that is the same. In other words, it's a word that properly we would understand to be ancestor. And so in that culture and society, your grandfather was in a very real way your father because he's your direct ancestor. And so it wasn't unusual to call a person's grandfather or a distant ancestor your father. And in verse 12, it says, Inasmuch as an excellent spirit, knowledge, understanding, interpreting dreams, solving riddles, and explaining enigmas were found in this Daniel, whom the king named Belteshazzar. Now let Daniel be called, and he will give the interpretation. And so, the queen's description of Daniel is remarkable for so many reasons. Not only does she call him by his Babylonian name, Belteshazzar, but she calls him by his Hebrew name, Daniel, which means the Lord is my judge. Now you'll notice that this king, the son of Nabonidus, is named Belshazzar. Belteshazzar and Belshazzar sound very, very similar, and for good reason. It's a word that means Bel protects the king or provides protection for the, the king. So the queen's description of Daniel, as we read it, when we read the translation, in whom is the spirit of the holy God, in the Aramaic language, it could read, in whom is the spirits. 
of the holy gods in the Hebrew, it would be plural and Elohim. Now, depending on the context, it can mean spirit beings. It can mean supernatural beings. But again, the context determines the meaning. And almost certainly the New King James gets it right when it says, in whom is the spirit of the holy God. In other words, he has supernatural abilities not based on contact with the supernatural gods of the Babylonian Empire, but rather with the God of the Bible. And so if it means in the sense of the gods of Babylon, it means that he has access of communication through spirit beings or supernatural beings. But again, our translation makes much more sense in its context. Because Daniel has repeatedly said in this book that he has no special powers. That whatever special powers he has, they come from God. And so it says, and in the days of your father, that is, in the days of Nebuchadnezzar, who died 562 B.C. Now these events, for those of you who remember the last time we were gathered, took place October 12th, 539 B.C. So remember, they count backwards. And so we go from 562 to 52 to 42. Over 20 years have gone by. The last time we were together, I told you about the series of succession of kings and the assassination of kings, the emergence of Nabonidus, his father, for 17 years, who leaves, and now Belshazzar is in command. Daniel, remember, as we followed him from his youth in chapter 1, we've seen him in his teen years, in the 20s, in the 30s, and the 50s, and now Daniel is about 80 years old. He's, he's somewhere in his 80s at this point. And again, with the succession of kings, he may have slipped out of the court of Babylon. He may have faded in importance. It could be that Daniel simply distanced himself from Nabonidus and Belshazzar, but he's not there, and he has to be called for. At the end of Nebuchadnezzar's life, Daniel... I believe, convinced Nebuchadnezzar of the supremacy, the authority, the reality of the one true God. Now this becomes important for people who are watching or listening or, or reading their Bible because again, think about all of the people that you know or maybe even you. You may have grown up in a world where you'd heard about the Bible, you'd heard about the God of the Bible. You may or may not have been convinced that the God of the Bible was the true and the living God. For Daniel, the present administration of Belshazzar exalted and praised the pagan gods. And so the queen mother indicates to the king that if an answer is going to be found, if you are going to want to access the truth about the message that God has given you, then you need to go to a source who can adequately and accurately and appropriately tell you what's going on. And Daniel is that person. And so why is Daniel the right man for the job? Remember? Remember? He's a man of humility. 
He's a man of integrity. He's a man of humility and integrity who's filled with the spirit and wisdom. Paul told Titus in Titus chapter 2, verse 7, show yourself in all respects a model of good works and in your teaching show integrity. So the queen is basically saying, if anyone has a reputation of knowing God and doing the right thing, it's Daniel. But this reminded me again of reputation in general and reputation specifically. And it reminds me that we're supposed to live in such a way. Let me put it differently. You should live in such a way that I can tell the truth about you at your funeral. <laughs> that I don't have to lie. I don't have to exaggerate. I don't have to pacify or placate. Live your life in such a way that I can tell the truth about you. And you know, it's my deep, deep desire to live in such a way that you can tell the truth about me. Oswald Chambers wrote, quote, my worth to God in public is what I am in private. My worth to God in public is what I am in private. Your worth to God is going to be reflected in what you do when no one else is around you and when no one else is watching you. So what is Daniel's reputation? He's filled with the spirit of the holy God, full of light and understanding and wisdom, and not just any wisdom. It's the supernatural wisdom that seems to come from some other world. And what does that mean? This is the kind of wisdom that doesn't normally seem to be available to mere mortals. So what is Daniel able to do? He is able to interpret the strange dreams that we saw at the beginning of the book of Daniel. He has access to what no one else has access to. And so how, how important is it to have a good reputation? Daniel's reputation brought him before kings and brought him great honor in his lifetime. Many of you know that Franklin's dad was Billy Graham. Will Graham, his grandson, is, uh, there's, there's a movie that's just been released called Unbroken Redemption. It's the story of Louis Zamperini. And in this story, it's the story of a 1936 Olympic Italian athlete <laughs> who sails across the ocean and he competes in the Olympic Games. He comes back, he joins the army, he is shot down over the Pacific. He is taken into a Japanese prison camp where he is tortured and abused in the most exquisite manner, if you want to use that term. It reminds me again of people who have been taken in battle. And Louis Zamperini, of course, comes back after the war, and he's wounded and he's hurt. But somehow he's convinced to attend a 1949 Billy Graham crusade. 
It just so happens that in this movie, Will Graham, Billy Graham's grandson, plays his grandfather. He plays his grandfather, and he learns that message word for word. It's really interesting. Literally three people that I'm aware of tried out for the role. And when Will Graham tried out for the role, and he said, God's looking for you. He wants to throw out a lifeline to you. And the guy, that guy, he, he looks and sounds just like a young Billy Graham. When I was at the Cove doing a conference with Will Graham, I think I've told you this story. A little old lady came up to him and says, you look just like Billy Graham. And Will goes, my grandfather's 97 years old. Are you saying I look like I'm 97 years old? And she goes, you look like a young Billy Graham. And he goes, because I have these great big ears and this great big nose. And she goes, well, yeah. <laughs> it's interesting. Billy Graham gained a reputation over a lifetime of ministry. He prayed with presidents. Every president since Harry Truman. We come to a place in our life where God wants to use us. Daniel reminds me of Proverbs twenty-two twenty-nine. Do you see a man skillful in his work? He will stand before kings, unquote. And you know what? We can lose our good reputation in one selfish moment. It doesn't take long to undo a lifetime of ministry. We Christians can sing songs. We can speak soul-stirring sermons. We can visit the sick. We can give money to the poor. We can fund worthy causes. But we can lose all credibility in a single selfish act of indulgence. Daniel in captivity, he is going to hold on to his integrity. He's going to hold on to holiness. He's going to hold on to righteousness. He's going to hold on to his relationship with the, the Lord. And so he's wise and selfless. This is the Daniel who's going to care for his captors and tell them the truth. Someone once said to me, don't sing the song if you can't live the song. Don't preach the word if you can't live the word. Daniel is honorable and holy and harmless and blameless. What's your reputation? The only way I could possibly find out is to ask your wife or your husband or your children or your friends. In the fourth chapter of Deuteronomy, God calls Israel to obey God's word. He warns them about adding or subtracting from the word of God. In Deuteronomy chapter four, verse two, the Lord admonishes them and says, therefore be careful to observe them. That is the statutes, the laws. Be careful to observe them for this is your wisdom and understanding in the sight of the peoples who will hear all these statutes and say, sure, surely this is a great nation. It's a wise and an understanding people, unquote. One translation puts it this way. If you obey God's commands, they will give you a reputation for wisdom and intelligence. 
In other words, you want a reputation for wisdom and intelligence? The best way to get a reputation for wisdom and intelligence is to, in humility, just simply say, God's word is true. I so much want to understand it. I so much want to do it. When the surrounding nations hear these laws, they will exclaim, what other nation is as wise and as prudent as Israel? And so we learn something. A good reputation comes from obeying the word of God. Do you remember how the book of Daniel opened? Daniel is faced with this dilemma and test. Even though he's in captivity, even though he's a Jew far, far away from home, even though the temple is destroyed, even though there is no provision for sacrifice, he wants to honor and obey God the best that he can in the circumstance that he finds himself in. And now all of a sudden he's able to cultivate a life of wisdom and understanding. Some people think that the way to a good reputation is to convince others that you're smart or clever or talented or glamorous. But knowing and obeying God's word, I guarantee you, will prove far more valuable. A good reputation comes from consistent living and submission to the obedience of the Lord Jesus. Do you guys remember the story of Ruth? She thanked Boaz for his kindness. They were out in the field. They were gleaning and, and, and admitted that she was a stranger and a foreigner. She says, I'm a stranger and a foreigner. Why are you being so kind to me? Boaz said, yes, I know. And I also know about all the love and the kindness that you've shown your mother-in-law since the death of her husband and how you left your mother and father in your own land. You came here to live among strangers. Ruth chapter 2 verses 10 and 11. Boaz saw that Ruth was hardworking and loving and kind and faithful and brave. The qualities earned her a good reputation, which she demonstrated consistently over her life. Your reputation is formed by the people who watch you at work, by the people who watch you in the home, by the people who watch you at school or in your church or in your community. A good reputation comes when you live out your deeply held beliefs in friendship and relationship with others. And this is why church is so difficult. Because we're all a work. Each, each and every one of us are are growing and hopefully learning and, and maturing. And as you're growing and learning and maturing, sometimes a lack of growth or a lack of maturity manifests itself in the body of Christ. And you think, I'm not going to go to church because I don't want these people to know what I'm thinking or what I'm doing. But your presence in the church shouldn't be cause 
to say, I can't deal with hypocrisy and inconsistency. The whole point is for the hypocrisy and the inconsistency to be repented of so that you can go, Lord, Lord, I'm so imperfect. I'm so not what I want to be. Lord, will you help me? Will you help me? Will you help me to change? The king's message is a mystery. Who better to solve the mystery than the most famous detective in all of human history? You know, we might think that it's Hercule Poirot or Sherlock Holmes, but Daniel is the one who has the reputation of solving problems and riddles and mysteries. You know what an enigma is. It's a mystery or a riddle wrapped up in a question. It's a puzzle. And in the ancient world, they, they solved problems and riddles and mysteries the way that we watch football or baseball. The national sport of the ancient world was to try to come up with mysteries, puzzles, enigmas, and then try to solve them. The Lord had given Daniel the supernatural ability to solve complex problems. And again, it's also interesting that the queen mother refers to Daniel, like I said, by his Hebrew name, mentions his Babylonian name, Belteshazzar, which I'm going to suggest she was so impressed that she names her own son Belshazzar. You know, in England, some people might call their children John Wesley in whatever name. John Wesley Jones. John Wesley Harding. <laughs> Will Graham is William Franklin Graham the third. So you have William Graham number one, William Graham number two, William Graham number three. You name some of your kids after the people you admire or, or respect. So for this queen, there's this sense of urgency and immediacy in the queen's mother's recommendation. You need to know what God is saying and you need to know now, but she has no idea. She has no idea what this message is going to bring. And we see the king's reward. Look what it says. Then Daniel was brought before the king. The king spoke. And the king said to Daniel, Are you that Daniel who's one of the captives from Judah, whom my father the king brought from Judah? There's a little dig there, isn't there? It's like when people in England call you, refer to America as the colonies. And you just go, look, we went to the moon, okay? I know we owe a great debt to England. We also know that England owes a great debt to us. Then Daniel was brought before the king, but the king says, aren't you that guy that my dad captured, or my grandfather in this case, captured from Judah? I've heard of you, that the spirit of God is in you, and that light and understanding and excellent wisdom are, can be found in you. Now the wise men, the astrologers, have been brought in before me that they should read this writing and make known to me its interpretation but they could not give the interpretation of this thing. 
Again, why does the king say, are you that Daniel whom my father captured? Again, I think it's a declaration of sovereignty and superiority that maybe Daniel knows what Daniel knows, but this king again wants to remind Daniel who exactly that he is. He acknowledges that Daniel has a reputation of being filled with God's spirit, light, understanding, and wisdom. He understands that. I think the better question that we can ask at this point is how can we be filled with God's spirit, with God's light, with God's understanding, God's wisdom. Again, the psalmist wrote in Psalm 119, verse 19, I am a stranger in the earth. Do not hide your commandments from me. This is the psalmist's way of saying, look, I don't belong here. I am visiting this planet Earth. I need guidance. I need to know what it is that you want from me. I'm trying to negotiate this world in which you brought me into. Have you ever gone to a strange place where they spoke a strange language and had strange customs? Have you ever been a little bit fearful because you're going into a place that you're unaware of, of where to go or what's expected of you. And you thought to yourself, how good it would be to have a guide who's been here, who understands the language, understands the culture, understands the expectations. Maybe you were given a map or maybe you're given something else. This psalmist is saying, we're strangers. We need a guide. I need a map. I need a way to help me find the ultimate destination that I'm looking for. And that's what the Bible does, is it? It promises guidance. It promises wisdom. It's the Bible that makes you wise, wiser than your enemies, wiser than your teachers, wiser than the world. And I want you to think about this for just a moment because we live in a world that trivializes the Bible or doesn't believe that it's true. In Psalm 119, verse 99, the psalmist said, I have more insight than all of my teachers for I meditate on your statutes. Wisdom comes from allowing God's word to instruct us to illuminate us. In Psalm 119, verse 105, it says, your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. Over and over and over again, the wise men and the astrologers proved useless in a crisis. What is it that they claim? Remember what this king is saying. The wise men, the astrologers have been brought in before me. These are the people who claim to have supernatural insight, the wisdom of this world. They should be able to address those issues that plague us, that, that create harm for us or profound difficulty for us. They claimed power and access to Babylon's gods and goddesses. They basically said, we have the answers to life questions. Why not call the psychics and astrologers and the wise of this world? Tell me again what you are. You're a Babylonian life coach. Yes. 
I can tell you how to negotiate and steer through this world. And that's exactly what happens to your children and your grandchildren. You send them to school and you send them to colleges and universities. I'm not suggesting even for a moment that people aren't going to be exposed to things that are false, that are wicked, that are wrong. But you have to equip your kids to deal with that which is false and wicked and wrong. What he is basically saying is what his grandfather said so long ago. I had a supernatural dream and I want you to tell me what it is. And remember, all of them were worthless guides, worthless in their instruction, worthless in their support. They consistently failed to understand who the true God is and what the true God wanted and the true direction that God required. The king says in verse 16, and I've heard of you that you can give interpretation and explain enigmas, which are riddles. Now, if you can read the writing and make it known to me and its interpretation, you shall be clothed with purple. You're going to have a chain of gold around your neck. You're going to be the third in the kingdom. Why the third in the kingdom? Because remember, his father Nabonidus is numero uno. He's numero dos. And so the only thing that he can offer is the third position. Over and over again, Daniel consistently maintained, I have no special gift. I have no special ability. It's God. It's the true God. It's the true God who gives me the ability to decipher mysteries. Daniel chapter 1 verse 17 God gave them, that is Daniel and his friends, learning and skill and literature and wisdom. Daniel had understanding in visions and dreams, unquote. What gives you the ability to give people hope? It's the presence of Jesus inside of your heart. When I'm talking about hope, I often say there are two kinds of people in the world. There are those who have hope and those who need hope. And do you realize that the least schooled Christian who has the presence of God and God's spirit inside of their heart should be able to give more hope than the most skilled unbeliever. Because remember, it's God's word and God's spirit and the gospel of grace that provides hope. Daniel said of God in chapter 2, verse 22, he reveals deep and hidden things. He knows what's in the darkness. Dwell, light dwells with him. It's God who knows the truth about what goes on in the dark. It is God who knows the truth about what goes on in the light. And once again, the king offers a reward for providing the proper interpretation for the writing on the wall. And what does the king promise? A purple robe, a chain of gold, third ruler in the kingdom. You know what I would translate this to? Purple robe honor, gold chain, riches, 
third in the kingdom. Power. What is this king offering, Daniel? I'll give you honor. I, I will make you famous. I will make you famous. He's already famous, but he goes, I'll make you even more famous. I'll make you famous. We'll post you on YouTube. You'll get a hundred million hits. Everyone will know who you are. I will give you riches and power. Well, all I want is a 30% coupon at Kohl's. I'm good. A Mr. T starter set. An all-access pass to the movers and shakers of Babylonian society. Jeremiah warned, and Daniel was an expert on the book of Jeremiah. Jeremiah warned, the, he said in Jeremiah chapter 9, verse 23, Let not the rich man glory in his riches. Be careful. Humility is your greatest guard against greed. Humility is the greatest guard. Gold is real money, but it's not a real God. The Bible gives repeated warnings. Riches are unreliable. Riches are uncertain. Riches are unsatisfying. Riches are unproductive. Riches are unprofitable. Proverbs eleven twenty eight. He that trusts in riches shall fall. We trust the Lord. Riches make themselves wings and fly away. That's Matthew chapter 23, verse 22. Who knew that you could attach wings to your checkbook or that credit card and all of a sudden things just disappear right from under you? The car breaks, the pipes break, the hurricane comes, and what you thought was your safety net is now gone. When something is corrupted, it can't produce that which is beneficial. And that's what riches are. Jesus warned about the deceitfulness of riches that choke out the word in Matthew 23, 22. Riches are unsettling. Do not trust in uncertain riches, Paul tells Timothy in 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 17. James warns, your riches are corrupted, James 5, 2. And so we see the prophet's refusal. Look what it says in verse 17. Then Daniel answered and said before the king, let your gifts be for yourself. Give your rewards to another. Yet I will read the writing to the king. I will make known to him the interpretation. Think about what you're reading. Daniel knew that the king's rewards were nothing. Why? because he's gonna be out of office in less than 24 hours. But there's something else. They're nothing compared to the blessings and the benefits of faithfully following the Lord. Hey, if you do this, I'll give you this. What you're offering me isn't worth it. I'll give you this in exchange for what? Your reputation. This is why I've tried so desperately to tell you the truth and remind you of the gospel. You know what I'm hoping? I'm hoping that I have a reputation for saying, no matter what he's teaching, he's going to teach you the Bible. 
no matter where you're at in the Bible, he's going to find a way to the cross and then he's going to remind you that there's a God who loves you and a Jesus who died for you. Do you know that you're a sinner? Yes. Do you want forgiveness? Yes. Do you believe that Jesus rose, died on the cross and rose from the dead? Yes. Then what would keep you from trusting him? Why wouldn't you trust him? Abram was offered a reward for defeating the enemies of the king of Sodom. Abram said to the king of Sodom in Genesis chapter 14, verses 22 and 23, I've lifted my hand to the Lord God most high, El Elyon. Remember, this is the God who's spoken of in Daniel. This is the God who's revealed himself to Nebuchadnezzar. This is the God whose hand has penetrated into this universe and written on the wall. Abram said, I have lifted my hand to the Lord God most high, possessor of heaven and earth, that I will not take a thread or a sandal strap or anything that is yours, lest you should say, I made Abram rich careful. It's not always wise to receive gifts from unworthy leaders for services rendered to them. So what does this prophet's refusal tell us? I want you to think about that. What does the refusal of Daniel say to me and say to you? It's got to say that he's not motivated by greed. He's not motivated by greed. You know, you go to church and all they want is your money. Keep your money. Hey, when do we pass the plate? I didn't notice. It, it never went by. You know what? We have a text to give. We have agape boxes. You give because you want to, not because you have to. When have I ever said to you, unless you give, we're going to have to close the doors and we're going to have to call it a day. God will provide or he won't. He will or he won't. Daniel's not motivated by greed. What's the king offering? I'll give you honor. I'll give you riches. I'll give you power. Daniel says, I'm way more interested in honoring God and doing what's right. Now, I want you to think about what's happening in the text. In order to honor God and do what's right, he knows that God has placed him in a very special place. God has placed this Daniel in Babylon's court to tell him the truth. And that's exactly what he's going to do. He's going to tell him the truth. Jesus said, for assuredly I say to you, heaven and earth will pass away, but not one jot or one tittle will by no means pass until all the law is fulfilled in Matthew chapter 5 verse 17. The text that reads on the plaster wall, meanie, meanie, tekel, you farsen, is going to be translated. He is going to reveal the message of God to this king. And what is the message? That Babylon is about to come under the authority of a brand new king. This is exactly what he told his grandfather. God has warned you 
about what's going to happen. Do you think Daniel sounds a little disrespectful to the king? I'm going to suggest to you that it's not disrespectful at all. When Daniel says, look, whatever you're willing to give me, you can keep it. But nevertheless, I'm going to tell you the truth. Imagine if someone said to you, I'll give you money if you'll just simply tell me what I want to hear. And I say, keep your money. Because I have a responsibility to tell you the truth. Paul reminded Timothy to study God's word so that he would be thoroughly equipped for every good work. Sometimes being true to your beliefs and convictions sounds disrespectful. Sometimes saying out loud, are you a sinner? It sounds disrespectful. Are you calling me a sinner? No, the Bible's calling you a sinner. Do you want forgiveness? Are you telling me you can give me forgiveness? I have no forgiveness available to you. The only person who can give you forgiveness is the Lord Jesus Christ by his sacrifice on the cross. Sometimes being true to your beliefs and convictions sounds disrespectful. But look around you. The world that you live in, the people in power, all of this is going to change one day. One day, Jesus is going to rule as King and Lord. His world is about to come under the control of a new king. Our world is about to come under the control of a new king. This king wants to know and understand the message from God. And Daniel is going to give him the answer. Do you need guidance? Do you need wisdom? Do you need light? Do you need someone to say, please help me understand what God's trying to say to me? Listen, Daniel is about to reveal the meaning of the mysterious message. What if I told you that God might be on the very, very end getting ready to reveal to you what you so desperately want to know? When I come back, we'll finish the chapter. I know it's a cliffhanger, isn't it? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, I'm hoping every single person will go, I'm reading ahead. I need to know how this ends. Lord, we know how it ends at the end of the chapter. We also know how it ends at the end of the book. Jesus Christ returns in glory. Jesus defeats his enemies. Jesus establishes his kingdom. Jesus establishes a kingdom that will never end. And Lord, for that person who's wondering how their day is going to end, how their week is going to end, how their life is going to end, 
Lord, I pray that by your Holy Spirit, you would remind them that no matter what the day brings or the week brings or their life brings, that they can trust. They can trust you. That they can trust themselves to the future that God has for us in Christ. And so, Lord, we commit this time to you. We pray these things in Jesus' name. And again, Lord, I pray by your Holy Spirit, you will speak to hearts as we sing these final songs. Lord, I pray that we could sing them from their heart. Lord, I pray with our mouths that we could sing the song, but we could do more than that. That we could live the song. In Jesus' name. Amen.